welcome to Bethel Radio Hour. We want to thank everyone uh, for being here. And yes, we do have modest crowds, but uh, that's pretty well the order of the day. Again, it, it is what it is. Uh, Bradley has tried to prepare me. Uh, he said, Brother Ben, if you don't come back soon, we may not have a church. <laughs> I'm like, well, Brad, I'm sure it's not because of you. Uh, but nonetheless, um, we have several people quarantining. We have several people that have the virus. Uh, have several people that are protecting themselves, and we support all of those situations. I am two days out of quarantine jail, or however you want to call it. Uh, Don, Tony, and Molly are all recovering very nicely, and I never got it. And uh, I've got a joke for Sunday to explain why. So I'll save that for Sunday, uh, if I can pull that off. Uh, also on a very, uh, you know, Bethel living room moment, uh, one of our uh, patriarchs, uh, Ken Burnett, passed away, had reached the age of 90, and uh, was on his 68th wedding anniversary that he went to be with the Lord. And so we'll be having his services this Friday at uh, 12 p.m. Please be praying for that. All right, so we started something. We, I think we've only done four or five of these this year because of COVID and the such. But one of the nuances that we've started to do is just kind of like the pardon, the interruption that's on ESPN. Uh, I used to know the guys' names that, that do it, but I can't remember now. It's been that long since I've watched it. But uh, they basically have a, a time limit. And so we kind of went to that uh, to, to give everybody, quote, unquote, a fair amount of time to present their argument and then give a one-minute rebuttal. So we're, we're just going to stick with that for a while. Uh, and uh, our first topic uh, this evening is going to be uh, Leadership 101. So the challenge to the panel was to come up with their two top biblical leadership traits. These are the top two that if you get to pick what you want to see in your leader. These are the two that you would pick. But because we're going to do the round table, by the time it gets back to Gavin, per se, someone else may have picked his second topic. So we asked all the panel to, and I, we asked to come up with eight because Tara was support, supposed to be a part of this. But so tonight we'll talk about six, basically. But if we've got time after we go through those, we can talk about the other that you have in your list. So, uh, and I'm going to have to find my list here because I don't have it in this particular note, but I'm pretty sure I, I can find my notes. Uh, so, what I, I told the panel what we will do is come prepared with eight traits uh, because we will share our traits one by one by random choice. So someone may choose your top traits, so you have to use one of your others when it's your turn. If you have some that weren't picked, then this is the time that we'll let, let each give you know, the other chance to share them. And again, we'll have a, a minute rebuttal for each uh, person, or, or after each go around, if we want to, uh, you know, pick pick on something that we might have heard or whatever. With no further ado, uh, Brother Gavin, why don't you tell us your first topic? Yes, I get to go first. Character traits. So it makes it so much easier. That's right. Uh, so, so I do my two this time around, or nope, just the one? Do one. Just the one. Okay. So uh, probably my. Um, Top trait is to learn to stand alone. Ooh. So, in I I just I wrote down three of the big you know big characters in my 
um, in my thinking and my experience and reading scripture. <laughs> and I just started writing down and I noticed it's, a lot of these things are common to all of them. I've got Joseph, David, Moses, and Daniel all written down. And each one of them had to learn to stand alone early. Mm. Um, so stand, learn to stand alone, be comfortable in that. You gotta learn to have some assurance in yourself, either with your relationship with God or with the truth, and have the uh, peace and presence of mind to learn to stand alone. It, I mean, it's various times in my life I've, I've done that, but various times in my life I've been afraid to do that. Right. And I think consistently leaders are comfortable standing alone when they know they're right. Amen. Very good. Brother, boy, he did that in excellent time. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Brother Tom, I'm setting my two minutes timer here, so go. Oh, geez, I got so many of them I don't even know how to kind of tackle it. Um, just, just one. Just one to start, yep. and I was looking for the verse I, that was my main one, so I'm going to go with my second one, is um, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For just as a body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are the body, so it is with Christ. And uh, you don't need a leader if there isn't anybody there, and uh, your team. So I kind of looked at it as uh, it is the body, all portions have to function. I think to be a good leader, you have to recognize that you have you have a following. You have something to take care of. You have something to organize. Um, so I don't have a one word, uh, you know, a one sentence for that. But leadership is just recognizing that you have a following, that you are responsible okay. for someone. Okay. Uh, accountability. What, what accountability? Right, yeah, responsibility because if you're wandering aimlessly and then that's not a, a, a knock against yours being alone but um you know if you don't recognize i could be standing in the desert i'm not a very good leader because i have nobody following me <laughs> right, or nobody right. yeah, to if lead. no one's yeah. following you're right. not leading um but i think it's important to say here that none of these are necessarily meant to be the one the you know right. this, this we you want to see several of these yeah. char characteristics. And I would contend that nobody was behind David when he went out to meet Goliath either. Correct. But it was necessary. But it was necessary. <laughs> that, that's right. It, both are necessary. That's right. Very, very good. Anything you want to add to that, Brother Tom? Um, no, because I, I just have a, you know, the eight or nine traits of good leadership. Yeah. I might be able to sum it up better when we get to that part. Okay. Uh, so I, neither one of you, I feel like, have quote unquote hit on my top one, uh, but in the one minute rebuttal time here, you, you, you might say, oh yeah, it, it, you know, I, I think that is what kind of what I was saying, whatever the case may be, calling. I, I, wanna, I want the, the person that I follow, I want them to know that they have a calling. Uh, one person put it this way, and, and I, I really believe this is one of the things that God put in the DNA of my calling for Bethel, and that was assignment. And I see those two words interchangeable in this, you know, ideology, if you will. Uh, Todd Webb, he he said, I, I know my assignment. I know what I've been called to do. If I, he was a revivalist. He told me, he said, if I can get in that pulpit, I know God's going to do what He's called me to do. And, and at first, I thought, oh, that's pretty conceited, you know. But, but after I heard him preach, 
I, I realized exactly what he meant by it. He, he was giving all credit to God and that God had put this inside of him. God had, you know, built him for 30 some odd years just for this. And this for him was just a, a certain time of life. It wasn't because he's no longer doing it. Uh, but he had an assignment. And so that was that two-year period that I had been called to the temple as the youth director, and God was preparing me to do what I've done now for 22 years, and, and this is my assignment. Now, you all know how it goes. I could get a calling tomorrow to another field, but if so, then all that will tell me is, is that my assignment had a limit on it. You know, and, and, of course, we all know that it has a limit on it, but at this stage of the game, whether anybody else agrees, I'm hoping that the limit is my, my lifetime. I would love to be buried in Bethel Cemetery. But uh, I want the leader that I follow to have a calling and, and to know that they have a calling. Oh, I'm out of time. So uh, now we so we went around one round. Okay, shut up. Uh, we got one-minute rebuttal time. Uh, Gavin, what, anything you want to add to what has been said? So... Uh as far as the calling goes, I, I put it in their assignment. They, and not only they had an assignment, they took it seriously. Uh, Use the example of David when a, a lion attacked his, you know, he, he's just a shepherd boy. That's it. A young shepherd boy. Right. 12, and 13, 14. The lion attacks his, he takes it serious and rescues the lamb, the bear the same way. One lamb. Could have, it's on, oh, oh, one got away. Oh, yeah. bummer. And just, then just, just, one. just a lamb. But he puts hey, his life on the hey, line. Hey, they got to eat too. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and we've got more. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but he took his assignment seriously. Amen. And I think that's where leadership, his leadership quality was built into him, taking his assignment <coughs> seriously. King, kings aren't made in great ivory towered schools, they're made in the quiet places, in the places in your heart where you take what's given to you, the small assignment that's given to you, seriously. Mm, very good. Brother Tom, what would you add? So top biblical leadership traits, I'll try to do it in a minute. So I wrote down a bunch of scripture. Philippians 2, 3, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. So humility. Uh, Hebrews 13, 7, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Uh, basically, know your place, and there is always someone higher than yourself. You're not... Uh, oh, you, you know we're going to have one more round, so, so you still got time to share another trait. Oh, okay. I was just sharing all my traits. Well, and that's fine <laughs> if you want to do that. But, but, so we're going to do one more round, and we're going to have another one-minute rebuttal. Oh, okay. Well, then I'll just save something. I'll, I'll, finish, I'll finish this page. All right. Um, Proverbs eleven fourteen. where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Very good. So people want direction and confidence and forethought. They want to know that you are you understand what's going to happen, or at least you're going to try to lead them to that situation. First uh, Peter 5, 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock, lording over, right. basically servant leadership. And my last one on this page was Philippians 2, 4, let each of you not look to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. And that, I boiled that down to listening. All right. Very good. Very good. Gavin, what, what, if it hasn't been named, what's another trait that you always look for? Recover from setbacks or mistakes quickly. Mm. I think you can spend years of lost time in not recovering from a mistake or a setback. And you can, you can say it was meant to be in Moses' life, but he spent 40 years recovering from a mistake. 
Um, so I, and I, I've shared this before, this is complete speculation on my part, but I, I, I've said before, I wonder how many times he walked by the burning bush before he actually turned in to look at it, because mm -hmm. the Bible says when he turned in to look at it, then, then he started to be addressed, God started to address him. So God started talking to him as soon as he addressed that burning bush that he hadn't investigated up until that point. So how, how long are you gonna stay in a, in a recovery or a setback or a mistake? You lose a lot of time, and maybe God is building something in you in that time, and I'm not discounting that, but in if I'm 57, just turned 57, I don't have a lot of time to recover. <laughs> I've got to ask for forgiveness or go to the person I've messed up with or write off the mistake that I've made and start again quickly, or I'm going to lose years in, in, a, in a state of defeat. Agreed. Recover quickly. Do you think that the first 39 years he walked by and said, too soon, too <laughs> soon. God, I know that's you, but. <laughs> you can imagine in a desert that you can see for 20 miles in the desert in Nevada, you can see for 20, 30 miles. Mm. So he may have been days approaching that yeah. and seeing it and not just running right to what the world's going on. Right. It could have been burning for three days. He, it had to have been burning a significant amount of time for him to know that it wasn't being consumed. Right. So, you know, just walking by it in 30 minutes, you might not even notice. So the second time around, he might have said, wait, is that the same bush? Yeah. Nah, that's not the same bush. But he, that's the same bush the that's third time the same around. Bush. So, Amen. Well, and, and I've always, you know, in our lives, uh, I guess you could say in this, in this setting that we're in, something that's burning and not being consumed is always going to draw attention. And, uh, you know, look, look at Billy Graham, how many years he burned for, Christ, for God. And, and it, 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 he drew a lot of attention uh, for, for the glory. For it's the glory. not natural, it's supernatural. That's, that's exactly right. All right, so uh, <coughs> mine would be, because uh, I, I kind I did the same thing uh, Tom did. I, I had uh, humility on there, um, action, you know, lead by example, uh, prayerful and such. But, but I want to talk on, uh, my top two would be calling and passion. You know, and I think one leads to the other. Once you are absolutely convinced by God, this is what I'm supposed to do, then passion takes over, you know. Um, and, and I think that the more you talk with God and, and the more you dream with him, if you will, that passion just, it, 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 does, it really does. It, you heard people say, if you find to do something that you love, you'll never have to work a day in your life. Why is that? Because it's passion, you know? And, and there's different levels of passion, you know? Um, I, I can't speak for Gavin, but I, I dare say that he's already had this awakening. We're 30 days away from the potential start of Maple Seed. It, why? Why do I care? Because it's it's a passion. It, it's not anything on the same level as my passion to serve God, so on and so forth. But it's a passion. It's something I enjoy doing and, and all that neat stuff. And so the, the passion drives you. Well, there is nothing that should draw and, if you will, emote more passion than seeing men, women, boys, and girls come to the gospel of Christ. Men, women, boys, and girls uh, growing in the gospel of Christ, uh, so on and so forth. And 
I, I, right now it, it escapes me, but someone just, just, I mean, recently, like today or yesterday, was talking about what God was doing in their lives. And to a pastor, that is kibbles and bits. I mean, it, it's, it's what it's all about. Okay, Brother Tom. Um, so uh, I'll hit on uh, four last ones. One was lead as Jesus led righteous. Uh, Proverbs 29.2, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. So just righteousness. You know, we don't have to look at the definition or anything. And, um, the golden rule, Luke 6.31, and as you wish that others would do to you, do unto them. Amen. I had that, you know, that discussion we had at work this week. Uh, I made a mistake. I made a mistake and uh, owned it. And, you know, I kind of told the guys, I was like, I will do the same for you. You know, if you make a mistake, just own it, and I will try to take care of you. Please take care of me. Um, uh, John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Just willing to do anything for your followers. Amen. You're leading them. Um, be decisive and confident. Matthew 5.37, let what you say be a simple yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Uh, self-control, Proverbs 25.28, a man without self-control is like a city broken into itself and left without walls. Mm. And my number one was servant leadership. Yeah. I think it all consumes that because you can't do any of these without being a servant leader. Right. You know, I don't think you can be humble. You can't be the decisive um, and that's Mark 10, 42 through 45. But the meat and potatoes of that one is Jesus saying, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be among so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave to all. So servant leadership is mine. Um, I try to think of that every day when I go in because I've seen the bosses fail that think they're bosses. Management is to make sure your people succeed. That's it. Because if they fail, I've already failed, and I'll be the one answering for it. That goes from working at a theme park to being the pastor of a church. The, and, and the beauty of that, uh, we'll just go ahead and start our, our one-minute rebuttal. It goes both ways. If an employee will set out to make their manager or boss or owner successful, then that motivates that manager, boss, employer to make their, you know, his his employees successful. And it's just it's just a wonderful dynamic experience at that point. I, I had never heard those words until Bill Goddard, that if you are not the boss or employer, you're the employee, your ultimate calling is to make that boss or employer successful because if you'll do that even even if they don't have the cognitive ability if you want to call it that to bless you god will will bless you type thing uh and i, I wrote those down uh, guys i love that learn to stand alone that was something else that i i learned from uh brother gothard uh, all right that's that's my one minute rebuttal gavin go ahead uh so so uh in regard to what Tom was saying, it, it is, you can't expect your, your followers or your employees or your, your uh, church members to have any skin in the game if you don't. That's right. It, it, and, and a lot of them are waiting, a lot of employees are, uh, this my area of experience, 
are waiting for that, waiting for you to see, uh, do you have any skin in the game mm -hmm. or are you just here to tell me what to do and leave? Mm -hmm. uh, so having skin in the game, owning mistakes, that's huge for employees or people uh, that are on, in your charge. They know when you make a mistake, just yeah. like your kids. They, they know right. when you've blown yeah. it. And they're, hi they're hypersensitive at your reaction. I, yeah, and if they will react. Say he's sorry. They, yeah, and they'll react the same way you do when they make a mistake. If you're hiding it, they're going to hide it and deny it no, too. No doubt. If you throw one of them under the bus, they'll throw somebody else under the bus. So, so they'll model what you do. Absolutely. Um, and then the other, just uh, addressing what you were saying, Ben. There, when this is true with your kids and it's true with your employees, when you're the employer and your employee trusts your judgment. You immediately trust their judgment. Yes. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know how that works, and they may not have very good very good judgment. But when they when they see the wisdom of your judgment, you automatically see the wisdom of theirs. So, amen. Uh, Tom, you get a one minute rebuttal. <clears throat> yeah, I guess when I was about thirty, I realized I wasn't probably going to be a millionaire. You know, I always, you know, I think maybe a lot of people think that. I have refused know? to give in yeah. to that. <laughs> but, you know, uh, you see a lot of people fail when they're working for a big corporation or conglomeration, and they're like, oh, you know, they got m so much money, they don't. You know, when I realized I want to do a good job for them, you know, that that's what it is. It's cyclical. And just like this week, you know, when I messed up, I told the guys I did, you know, and it, I said I wanted to climb inside myself. I messed up so bad. But I, I, the mistake that happened, I didn't really think I did it. But there was no other explanation that I did. So, and I kind of told him, I said, you, we can have fun. We can poke fun at each other. There was a couple pictures drawn or drip me a little <laughs> bit. But I said, you know, there's a difference between having fun with somebody and trying to hurt someone. You mm -hmm. know, and that's where the culture is changing where I mm -hmm. work. And it doesn't hurt that I have a deacon in my morning meetings that I talk to staring <laughs> at me, you know. But yeah, I just, it, that's, and that's the golden rule too. I, I told him. You know, if you guys do the same mistake that I just did, I'm going to fight for you to get the same yep. treatment Hold that it. I got. You, you know, so Amen. Yeah. Amen. stuff. All right. Well, so that was the first topic. And uh, the first topic kind of rolls into the second. The second topic uh, is basically from the standpoint of, because I wanted to start with what leadership meant and as such. And, and I want to share with you that the whole thing of leadership and leadership styles that's a lifelong study. You know, we're, we're not going to exhaust on any level leadership tonight. And, and we're not going to completely understand it uh, and as such. But I encourage you to, you know, if you will, dive into uh, w what it means and, and what it stands for. And I'm, I'm trying to find my, my notes here again. Here we go. Uh, topic two. Why are so many megachurch leaders failing? Now, I want to preface this. Uh, with the reality that I, I'm, I'm coming at this for the last couple, three to five, maybe even ten years. And in the last ten years, some of the greatest, biggest church leaders that we know and have been exposed to and support, pray for, and they've had failures. Uh, several of them have been fired. Some of them have been reinstated, so on and so forth. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy named Mark Driscoll. But Mark Driscoll, uh, back, he was about 10 years out of college, he came to prominence at a church in Seattle. And a uh, huge mega church. And he started the Acts 29 uh, network. And so 
you may or may not, depending on how much you read after church growth and such, but you may not be aware that one of the popular church growth mechanisms these days are these networks. Uh, Journey Church is a network. Uh, Harvest Chapel Hour, our chapel church is a network. Uh, Dennis McDonald. Uh, Bill Hybels has a network. Uh, Rick Warren has a network. So in the, what is the network? The network is churches that are kind of underneath the umbrella of that church. Um, Bethlehem. Uh, which is John Piper. Now, John Piper has not had a moral failure, so I'm not lumping him into this. I'm just saying that that whole approach has to do with usually one mega leader, and he has unbelievable success in a church, and that uh, manifests itself in sometimes hundreds of other churches underneath. James McDonald has had a moral failure in the last two years. He was fired over it. Uh, Bill Hybels had a moral failure. He was fired over it. James McDonald was one of the ones that spoke to me. Man, yeah. When he came on, no I just, just tuned we, we've in. We've used his stuff oh, here. Man. You bet. So, uh, why are so many of these leaders fake? And uh, so I've got some stuff here that I'm going to say during my time. But, Tom, we're going to let you go first. How, many, how much time do I get? Two minutes. Two minutes. All right. I think it's kind of like, you know, they talk about the great men of history, like Winston Churchill and Abraham Lincoln and Stan Musial. If those guys were alive right now, you'd, they'd be digging up all the dirt on them. You know, I think those days of the great men that we propped up, they just we didn't have the media. We didn't have the publicity. Twitter. And, but yeah, you know. So I'm just going to go through. First question, does the church look like the church of the New Testament? Because part of your thing, too, is are, are we going to second part our mega churches right or wrong? Or are we going to talk yeah, about yeah, that? Yeah, so you feel free to address that. Are, are mega churches in themselves wrong? Okay. Well, nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to be a certain size. Yeah. You don't have to get so big and you have to split. Nowhere does right. it say that you can be too small right. of a church. It's just do you look like a New Testament church? Uh, so in Matthew 18... They say the first church started with 120 in the upper room and increased to 3,000. They said possibly 50,000. You know, are you making disciples and baptizing them? You know, that is the challenge of mm -hmm. a smaller, large church. Um, large churches often become more worried about uh, getting more people instead of the message. Right. I've seen, seen that. Um, I found an article that said in February 2016, a study by the American Sociology, Sociological Association found a lot of members of large churches are less involved than those of smaller congregations, and it makes sense. It's found that group cohesion lies at the heart of size and participation relationships in church. It makes sense. If I go to a church with 10,000 people, I might know the people that are sitting in my row, maybe. Um, so Pastor Rick Warren of a Saddleback Church in California said, uh, Christianity for 2,000 years has had large churches, including the very first one. The first church in Jerusalem was five times bigger than that of Saddleback. That's his church right. in California. So, um, and I'll sum it up. Sure. I've only got 12 seconds. Yeah, 11 right? seconds. 11 yeah. seconds. So you talked about James McDonald. Just get a one minute he, Yeah, he got caught in a scandal. Um, but basically, I think I boiled it down to these mega pastors. One of them is the money the power, and the fame. Right. And, uh, you know, James McDonald, uh, they said his average salary was $1.24 to $1.38 million. You know, and I think uh, our flesh, when we get into levels of that, I don't care what type of man you are, 
attacks from the devil are going to be increased, attacks from your flesh are going to be increased. And uh, so basically, I think it's the fame of it. There you go. Brother Gavin? Just a uh, telescope right on from what Tom was saying there, the, the, the fame and the success I think sometimes comes too early. I think of the pastor, uh, you had a clip of him here talking about um, when we were talking about same-sex attraction and he's the real cool guy with the glasses and yes. the funky Yes, Carl, Carl Lentz. Yes, yes. He's, he's one of the ones that... He's really the reason we're, we're addressing this. So, uh, he, so yes. So he's he, recently he's fallen. Very young man. Yes. Um, I, I think uh, when, you when you think in terms of successful people who pass the test of success, they usually have some, some time under their belt. Um, I think about Moses, who led a whole nation. He was, his movement was successful, and through many miracles, was successful. Um, and he, he, he had. But he was eighty family. years old when he started. He was 80, year old, 80, year, eighty years old, and he had already tried it his way. So he had surrendered to God's way. Uh, that, and I'm not saying that God doesn't reward His children with great riches and wealth, but I, I think sometimes God is hesitant to bless us because He knows the blessing will be a temptation no to doubt. draw away from him when you, whenever your income your success offers an alternative uh, source of security to god it's it's in the wrong context so passing the test of success sometimes i think is is part of the problem problem in these mega churches they're, they're a lot of them are young pastors not necessarily so age and experience gives you substance. And I think one of the biggest danger signs, I'll say this as many times as I have to, whenever you hear yourself saying, I deserve fill in the blank, you better be real careful That's what right. you do next. Amen. Uh, while you were talking, I thought of the, the goose that laid the golden egg. <clears throat> you get one of those geese, and what does life become about? Keeping that goose alive. Because <laughs> <laughs> you want those eggs to keep yeah. coming. You know. Um, all right. So I'm going to start my timer here. I I'm going to see how far I get into what I wrote here. Because sometimes I can write better than I can preach or teach. Um, so uh, specifically, you know, are, are mega churches wrong? Well, I obviously do not believe that mega churches are wrong. We've talked about this before. That in Acts chapter 2 and beyond, the first church of Jerusalem was certainly a mega church. So I can't be, uh, I can't believe uh, th that that is the issue. Uh, and obviously, we've become more even individualistic in this day. Um, so I think it's the culture uh, of the church, maybe even the culture of the nation that the church is in. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, megachurches uh, are not wrong, uh, but I think that if they're not careful, uh, they can be about the wrong things. And I think that's what Tom said earlier. Uh, now, do they cause greater temptation? Uh, yes, they promote more difficult challenges to a leader. And well, certainly, I think uh, very few people are created and prepared for such a task. With that said, I think some of it personally has to do with uh, just the American model. I've been reading quite a bit on the hot pastor in reference to uh, Mr. Lentz problem that we make celebrities out of these guys and we make sex symbols out of them and you know you throw enough of that type of pressure to any human being and anyone is going to struggle and that, again that's back to what tom said for a moment let's break down the megachurch pastor and for every positive trait there's a corresponding negative trait that goes with it most mega pastors are unbelievably competent and that promotes confidence 
But then if you're not careful, that turns into conceit and overconfidence and ego. Quite conversely, you have most mega pastors are amazingly talented, but it's not bathed in humility. That turns into preacher worship and a sense of entitlement. And also, your guard is lowered uh, to things that should be overtly offensive to a righteous character, but because of a sense of entitlement, those things are winked at. I won't go into great detail, but uh, I had a, a situation with a friend that's a woman that was a friend of my wife, and I'm a friend to her husband and such. Well, something was said and done that if without the proper context of knowing what was going on, it could be out of line. So I quickly <laughs> told this person, show your husband that. I'm showing my wife. And if there's any issue, let's get together. Well, praise the Lord, there was no issue. But that's the kind of environment we're in. You said years ago, Gavin, and I never have forgotten, that most affairs start with a glance. Just start with a glance. And if you allow yourself to allow that to stay without building up those barriers, you know, I call it putting hurdles in front of you. And one of my hurdles, I've told my wife this from two years before we got married type thing, if there is ever an issue or a problem that I feel like is going to lead to the end of our marriage, we will run to a counselor. We will run to a counselor. So, uh, I'll, I'll finish this. This will also be a part of my rebuttal. That um, with a large congregation that comes with that, a large constituency of staff, if again not guarded and held accountable, a pastor can have a lot of free time on his hands, even though it is a worn out and tired cliche, idle hands is the devil's workshop. And so, uh, you guys now, uh, Brother Tom, let's start with you. What would your one-minute rebuttal be? Uh, we've, we've hit on it. I think, uh, and I had some scripture about you are the company you keep. You know, and with this Carl Lentz, you know, one of his best friends is Justin Beamer, you know, Bieber. Bieber. You know, he said that he's accepted Christ. I saw his baptism. They were drinking Bud Light, and they were, like, at a lake or something. Hey, no, or, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You know. Kanye's okay, but Justin's not. Come on, you know. man. So, but, uh, but, yeah. He can have a hot wife that, you know, yeah. shows everything, but no, yeah. well, I'm messing no, with Well, no, I know. But, you know, you give, you give Tom Nays $1.24 million dollars. I'm going to be a different person. You know, I, I read what they said. They got James McDonald on. He was recorded, you know, and I'm thinking if Tom Nays preaches at Bethel, there's probably not people bugging his phones right. and stuff. It comes right. with the celebrity. Right. Their sins are no different than mine None. or Ben Kingston's or, None. you know, this, this Carl Lentz guy, yeah. he cheated on his wife. Thousands and thousands of men do it every day. He's just in the public eye. Right. And as a quote unquote preacher, it's, you're held to a higher standard. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's what and rightly so, mm -hmm. because Scripture says that. But every layperson, though, needs to know God expects that of us, too. God expects every layperson to live by the same standards that he holds the pastor to. There's just more, what would the word be, uh, more public and visible consequences if the preacher does, you know. And there ought to be. And there ought to be. You better believe that it. It is a biblical double standard. You, you've been preaching for so long. Um, 
in, in, in my life when I've seen leaders go in direct uh, opposite of what they've been teaching, telling me, it, it damages my faith, it damages my belief in their, yeah. or their Shakes my you faith. Yeah, to the core. The, uh, especially if it's somebody, a parent, uh, you know, a, a trusted mentor, uh, something like that, you see them bail on morality and it's earth shaking. And, and then, you know, that's one of those cases where you have to learn to stand on your own. You have to address and quickly embrace what you believe and stand on it. Uh, so so I, I don't think you can ascend to leadership without um, a real understanding of who you are and God's eyes. Mm. Uh, and God is faithful to give you a vision of who you are in his eyes. And it's not somebody that, that's um, shameful, not somebody that, that should be insulted, that should be treated like a secondhand citizen. Right. It's somebody who's loved and embraced, but somebody who, in, his, in contrast to him, is insig insignificant in power, insignificant in ability to make things come to pass. Together, of course, God, God, I think, loves to work with pastors on making his kingdom grow yeah. with them. I think I, I know too many men who beg God to use them in their life for that to not be the case. And, and got seeing God use them uh, when they when they ask for that. And finally, when we try to make ourselves self-sufficient, I think that's the wrong goal. Yeah. We, we should never be working towards that. And a lot of times financially. When we're feeling insecure, we want to be financially self-secure. We should never seek that. Uh, Proverbs 38 says, remove, remove from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Give me what I need to, to live. And I don't think it's wrong to ask God to, to give you um, what, what you need to feel uh, unthreatened right. financially, right. comfortable financially, but not you know where you feel like you're an island to yourself. Amen. Jim Baker, Brother Larry says, <coughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> another yeah. example. Ouch. Yeah. Uh, so all good stuff, gentlemen. Um, and I, I want to put a little disclaimer here. We're not piling on any of these guys. We, we respect them, love them, begging for their reconciliation, for their reinstatement and, and as such. Um, because any time and every time that I read one of those articles, it's, it's like, but for the grace of God, oh. there go I. And I'm convinced I don't know an eighth of the temptation level, if you will, that those men have gone through and their families. And I usually think about Achan. You remember Achan uh, during one of the campaigns uh, of Joshua's experience with Israel and Nobody was supposed to take any of the profane stuff. They weren't supposed to take any gold for themselves. And all. Well, Achan, he succumbed to the temptation. And he kept some stuff, and he hid it. And so at the next, I think it was the Battle of Ai, uh, the children of Israel were defeated. And Joshua just fell apart, you know, to the Lord. I, I can't believe you did this, Lord. And the Lord was basically like, dude, stand up. You've got sin in the camp, yeah. you know. And so they did a lot to and that, they, that recovery time. Yeah. How quick they're going to recover. That's right. And they drew lots. And by that biblical lot, Achan's family was set aside. And so they went and searched the tents. And sure enough, Achan had stolen some stuff. And they didn't just kill Achan. Killed his wife. Killed his children. 
spirit of jealousy. Now, you and I can understand capital punishment. If I go out here and wantonly kill someone, I should have every expectation that the government has the right, if you will, to take my life for that life. But my wife and kids. And, and I'm not on any level trying to question God's judgment. I'm telling you that that's how sad and potentially devastating a sin is. Uh-huh. And, and I can't imagine the wives and children of these men going through the things that they're going through. And, and again, that's not to pile on those men. It's just how devastating sin is. And you've said, Corey, you're capable of thinking it. You're capable of doing it. And it's no less than like prayer. When when you hear somebody say, God doesn't need to hear our prayers. We need to hear us pray. That's right. And that's why we talk about things like this. So young men, young women hear these things. Everybody's Mm -hmm. capable. Yeah, I read these stories, and there was some a couple years ago made me groan in embarrassment and sickening details in some of these stories. And it scares me. It's like, I don't even want to get close to those situations. So, Amen. So, uh, topic number three, how to battle isolation. So, uh, Brother Robert has been faithful to bring me the uh, recordings of Brother Brad's sermons. I am, however, embarrassed to tell you. I haven't listened to them yet. have every intention of doing so. I trust Brad, number one, but I also appreciate Brad's ability and his giftedness. Uh, with that said, uh, I, I didn't have an idea for the third topic, so I pitched it to Tara, and she came up with this one. And But, but Brad had uh, touched on the topic of isolation because, you know, a lot of us are doing that. A lot of us are, need to do it, have done it, will do some more of it, and the such. But he basically was cautioning us to not allow ourselves to buy in that this is an okay, if you will, approach to life on the long term, and that even when you, quote unquote, have to go through isolation, what can we do as Christian people to to truly not be isolated as a genuine approach to life? Uh, One of the things that that, uh, our culture has experienced for quite a while, as a nation, we have been blessed with prosperity, and there is tons and tons of people, and if you do this, I'm not shooting at you, I'm just saying there are tons and tons of people that have been blessed to the point that their garage is attached to their house and they can physically, from work, drive to their garage, open the door with, with their little clicker in the car, go in, hit the clicker, shut the garage, and you never <coughs> see them until 6 a.m. in the morning that the garage door comes back up and they drive out. And even though, again, we don't know that particular situation of that house they may have an invalid inside that they have to take care of 24-7 when they're home. So, so we're not trying to put those people down as much as you and I both know that as Americans, as a general rule, we stay to ourselves. And if we're not careful, that turns into an isolation you know, approach. So uh, we'll, we'll give each of you two minutes to talk about that, and we'll have a minute rebuttal. Gavin, it's back to your turn now. So uh, if we just make a little stepping stone from the previous topic sure. it's isolation i think probably it set these pastors up for failure too uh, they as get other kings went to war yeah 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 perfect yeah uh so isolating themselves from their from their congregation um tom addressed that you, you a leader should be 
answerable to mm -hmm. and in front of their followers all the time. And in be, the fray. Be, being uh, accountable to them, understanding their needs, dealing with the situations that may be infractioning or um, imposing upon their followers, things that, uh, that are causing hardship for them and addressing them. So isolation can be part of the problem there. And I think, unfortunately, we're building a culture of isolation. I, I think, uh, and I've thought about this many times, and my, I, if my son hears this, he needs to hear it. <laughs> Video games are a setup for isolation. Yeah. They, you can get into a life of isolation with video games, just sitting there on the couch or in your basement or in your, you know, your room playing video games. We, we and we have so many other things that people can enjoy and it's separated from people. Um, so I think that's a, an offshoot of affluence, of the affluence of our society allows people to live disconnected from mm -hmm. each other. Um, when people have real need, you start seeking connections with other people. Um, and affluence, I think, is in some regards been a, a, um, an enemy to that connection we're supposed to make. And that's completely os the opposite of what we're commanded to do. We're commanded to love our neighbor as ourselves. You can't do that disconnected from them. So um, we got to find, and, and unfortunately, uh, unfortunately or fortunately, however you want to look at it, we have to find ways that are entertaining to engage our neighbors, that ways that are fun, that are lighthearted, that are um, persuasive, that are a draw, that are more honey than, than vinegar, um, to connect with our neighbors and present the gospel. Our uh, Easter walk, I think, is a real good example of that. Breaking through isolation. Things good. like that. Very good. Tom? All right. So um, I kind of the approach I do with all of this, uh, isolation is a good or bad. I, I put it depends on the reason. Yeah. Scripture has it on both sides. And the first part, I'm just going to talk about a few of it, how where you could say the Bible is against isolation. Uh, in Proverbs 18, 1, it says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. And I think uh, that one basically, like you're saying, when you can't rely, what is the scripture? Uh, lean not on your own understanding. Right. You spend too much time with yourself. You could become your own worst enemy. That's right. Um, I've done it. You know, you start creating We've scenarios. Yeah, yeah, you know, what about this? Or maybe they said Sometimes this. Sometimes you're the worst person to take advice from. Yeah, and when you send that one text and you don't get it back for three minutes, oh, I made a mad. <laughs> uh, 1 Corinthians 12:14. for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Kind of like in leadership that, uh, you know, man was not meant to be alone. I know right. that's about marriage, but we're created to be around other people. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And that one kind of leaned towards, in, in our isolation, I was comfortable with some of it because we are the church. You know, sure. These are boards and beams. Right. But, right. Um, so I kind of got off track there. But in Genesis 3, 9, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Mm -hmm. And that one really touched me because that's God saying, where are you? You know, he, he wants to know where we're at. We need to know where we're at. And if we're isolated, people are asking right. where we are. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and that's kind of, I got 20 seconds, but those are the ones, <laughs> those are the ones that I think um, disdain from isolation. And then my second part, I've got six reasons to choose solitude over people. There you go. So, <laughs> there you, go. You, you can do that in your one minute rebuttal. Yeah. Uh, so... Let me, let me hit the timer here so I'm true to what I'm saying here. So how to battle isolation. 
I think the first, and, and again, I, I want to make sure that everybody, we are not saying that we should not have isolated during the pandemic. We, we should have. We did the right thing. And some of us at times when you're exposed or if you have, you still need to isolate. We're not talking about that. We are talking about, however, as a result of doing that, if you're not careful, you can think, well, I kind of like this, you know, uh, especially. Take, take the, the pandemic out of it. Yeah. The, the tendency's still there. Right, right. No, no, no doubt. guilty. I love closing that gate and shutting the phone off. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the most famous revivalists was in the BMA, and that's not saying a lot. <laughs> but he would famously say, I hate people. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he'd tell me that. I'd be such a good pastor if it I'm weren't for my you, people. That's <laughs> yeah, he said that. I'd be a great preacher if it wasn't for my people. Uh, and he told me, he said, Brother Ben, if God would let me, I would move to the highest mountain in the cabin, and I would never, ever see or speak to anyone again. He said, but I'm married, <laughs> and she won't <laughs> let me do it. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, do unto others. You know, that's the scripture. Do, do unto others. Well, it's going to be pretty hard to do unto others if you're, if you're isolated. Uh, stay faithful to the commission. It's going to be very hard to stay isolated if you're going to win other people to Christ. You've got to get involved. Now, we can do that through the phone. We can do it um, through lock cards, letters, and all that neat stuff. We can do it through Zoom. And I think that's okay. I think that if you, quote, unquote, have to be at home, then you use these vehicles to get involved in people's lives. Um, I'm going to go ahead and take my one-minute rebuttal now. Uh, stay he just makes, he's the boss. Yeah, That's right. What a leader. Stay, I'm, I'm going to start taking five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hitting it one minute. Stay prayerful. You, you've got to ask <clears> God <throat> point-blank questions. I do this a lot. Lord, am I messing up? Am I, am I messing up? The Lord is faithful to tell you. Lord, was I wrong about this? Should I not have said this? He, he will tell you. And so if you start to think, I, I'm maybe enjoying isolation a little too much, you need to ask the Lord, am I buying into this culture of stay away? You know, God will tell you. Awana brought us back. There you go. I was starting to enjoy it too much, and the church uses my kids. Amen. What they teach them. Me and Lindsay looked at each other and said, "We gotta go. Amen. It ain't about us." Good Amen. stuff. Uh, start the practice of withholds. Um, now, I, I want to say this. This is a marital counseling. Uh, isn't it amazing how fast one minute goes? Oh, sure. Uh, <laughs> and, and so I, I'm just going to finish this. You have friends here. If you will practice, and I've said it before, your only purpose for coming to this church is to worship Jesus Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But we all know that that includes other people. He's going to lead you to fellowship with other people. If you've had some things happen to you in that week that will be a blessing to your friends, neighbors, and relatives that come to this church, you need to come. Yes, to worship Christ, but you also need to come to share those withholds. Hey, you can't know this unless I tell you. Guess what happened to me this week? And, and you just share it. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, that has revolutionized Dawn and I's marriage. Withholds isn't about negatives. Withholds is about stuff that your wife or husband can't know unless you tell them. 
hey, I was going to the store today and this happened. And so I just would encourage you to be, okay, it's time to go. All right, six reasons to choose solitude over people. To prepare for a major task. I do this like before I preach or, so, or do a funeral. Mm -hmm. Luke 4, uh, 1, 2, 14, 15. After Jesus was baptized, he spent 40 days praying in the wilderness after he was tempted by Satan. Number two, to recharge after hard work, to mm -hmm. rest for whatever. Uh, Mark 6, 30, 32. Jesus sent the 12 disciples uh, to do ministry. When they returned, he encouraged them to separate from the people who were following them to rest. Number three, to work through grief. Uh, Matthew 14, 1 through 13. After Jesus learned that his cousin John the Baptist had been beheaded, he went away by himself. Yes, even the Son of God grieved. Number four, be, uh, before making an important decision. Luke 6, 12 to 13. Early in his ministry, Jesus spent the whole night alone in prayer. The next day, he chose his 12 disciples. So making an important decision. Number five, in a time of distress. And I think a lot of that encompasses this whole COVID thing. Uh, Luke 22, 39 through 44. Hours before Jesus was arrested, he went to the Mount of Olives and went a short distance away from his disciples to pray. He was in great emotion, agony, knowing what he was about to face. And then number six, uh, to focus on prayer. Uh, Luke 5, 16. Many times in Jesus' ministry, he spent time alone in prayer. Very good. So I think those are absolutely, you could encompass a lot of this whole COVID thing with those, but that's it. Good stuff. Brother Gavin, you so, have the last so the word. Same, uh, I would just uh, continue for what Tom, I was going to say, there is an appropriate time to get a, be alone and to get in that bunker. And, and uh, Christina just texted me the War Room movie was about that, having yeah. that special getaway place. Um, good, excellent point. So, so the other side of that is the, the uh, gospel does not travel in a bunker. You can't, you can't carry out the Great Commission isolated. And the gospel of all things was meant to connect us. And you guys know the amount of time that I have spent drawing uh, triangles. Those triangles are uh, the symbol of what God intends for us and how he intends for us to live our life, loving our neighbor as ourself. And in that act, we experience God. We, God feels our love, and we experience God in seeing God's face in the face of our neighbor and loving them uh, as ourselves. So that doesn't happen in a bunker. That doesn't happen in isolation. Isolation is appropriate at times. But to the bottom line is the Great Commission is connecting with people. Amen. Look, look at there. Ding. Uh, guys, I uh, encourage <coughs> you to, because um, I will say this, that Tara has shared, there's some real life struggles going on at our hospitals. Uh, the numbers are going up and I, I know that that, what would the word be? That causes all sorts of questions and speculations, just that phrase. The reality is, is that our medical community is under the load right now and irregardless of what everything else is involved in it, those people are our friends, neighbors, and relatives and they're people. So let's, let's pray for them. Uh, Mark Pfeiffer uh, definitely needs prayer, such of that nature. Um, and Lord willing, I'll be here Sunday, uh, and, and we'll, we'll have a good time together. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Pray for this broadcast as it goes out. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Robert, for filling in. Nice work. Look at that.